0: Can they hear us? Can they hear us? Can they hear us now?
1: Good.
0: (laughs) Here's one for you. If you work on your craft like everyone else, you'll just be like everyone else. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 236. You heard that right, 236 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch. Down on that subscribe button today's show NBA writer for CBS Sports Michael KB joins in a fantastic conversation we discuss Joel Embiid's MVP level play Jalen Brown's leap Nets basketball and more a fantastic conversation with Michael catch him on Twitter at the real Mike B that's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-M-I-K-E-K you know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Michael KB, NBA writer for CBS Sports. Welcome to Combo Sport. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling pretty
1: good, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, anytime, anytime. Uh, You know, every time I watch the Nets play, I always think of the Sixers for this reason and this reason alone. Their roster construction is going to change at some point, right, the Nets? But I mean, no matter what, Joel is going to be a crazy mismatch. They are going to be in the playoffs. And that just keeps coming to my mind over and over and over again as I watch this Brooklyn Nets team play. What do you make of all that?
1: Yeah, I agree, and that was actually one of my first thoughts when they, you know, when the the Harden trade went through and they shipped Jared Allen out of town, that they had, you know, such a lack of, uh, you know, big guys at this point. You're basically relying on DeAndre Jordan. They've been playing Jeff Green at the center. They've been playing Durant at the center. And, you know, against a lot of these other teams in the league that don't necessarily have a dominant big guy, you know, they can get away with that strictly just based off, you know, how much those three guys can score. But when you're talking about going against the team like the Sixers, you know, Joel has been given everyone problems this season. They just don't have, you know, a matchup for him. You know, he's, he's dominated DeAndre Jordan in the past. Physically, Durant and, and Green just don't have, you know, don't have the size to, to keep up for him. So, you know, like you said, I, I do expect Brooklyn to make some changes between now and the trade deadline to bolster that front court. But, you know, as it stands now, that is one advantage that I think the Sixers have that not a lot of other teams have when it comes to Brooklyn, just that, you know, MB, that sheer size in the middle. Yeah, watching Bam play against them, that's what did it for me. I'm like, imagine Joel. Right. I, mean,
0: I mean, Bam's great, but Joel, he's playing. Another at, level. Yeah, he's playing at an MVP level. Like My thing is always that no matter who wins MVP, LeBron is actually the best player in the league. But would you, make a, would you make a case for Joel MVP as of right now?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think the Sixers are making the case for him by losing every time he's he's sitting out. They're uh, 0-4 without him this season, losing to. They lost to the Pistons the other night. They lost to the Grizzlies, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago without him. And they just look like a, a different team. You know, I think Doc has been trying to kind of plug Dwight Howard into, you know, that starting spot when Joel's out and play a similar style of ball. And it just hasn't been working out. Obviously, Dwight is, you know, very limited offensively compared to what Joel can do and the looks that he generates, not only for himself, but in terms of how well Joel's been handling double teams this year and looking and creating open opportunities for Seth and Danny on the perimeter. And Dwight just can't do that. And I think, you know, moving forward when the games where Joel is not playing, I think Doc's going to have to, you know, adjust the game plan a little bit. I don't know if you want to use Ben as a small ball five and try to get up and down, give Tony Bradley more minutes. But clearly, um, you know, I think Joel's been certainly in that top three MVP conversation, LeBron, maybe Jokic up there. But, you know, if they keep losing without him, it, it just becomes clearer and clearer every time how important, you know, he is to that team on both ends. You mentioned, Dwight, we do have to give him some credit, though, because there's a
0: lot of people skeptical about his influence on this team uh, going into the season. I think it's been pretty good, right? Like he's had a good influence on the younger players of the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of the non-tangible stuff, you know, from what I've been able to notice from being around the team, you know, a really good locker room guy, real good motivator. He's, you know, in the guy's ears, but in a positive way, encouraging them. He's been working with Ben uh, almost after every home game. Him and Ben are out there shooting together, which is pretty funny when you think <laughs> as a shooting coach. But, you know, you respect him for being the guy that's in his 16th, six, 17th season. And he's, you know, with Ben out there encouraging him to get those post game shots up. And, you know, he's been a great backup, I think, for Dwight or for uh, Joel, just in terms of, you know, encouraging him, hyping him up. And I think it's a little peace of mind for Joel, too, to know that, you know, if he gets in foul trouble or if he gets a little tired and he comes out for a spell that, you know, the team's not necessarily just all of a sudden going to bottom out like they have in the past. Dwight's been productive enough when he's been out there, you know, he's been really uh, effective on the offensive boards and finishing around the rim, which is, you know, what he does at this point. And it's, I think it's nice for Joel to know that, you know, there's another guy that's obviously clearly not as good as he is, but a guy that he can kind of trust and that has the veteran experience coming in behind him.
0: What do you credit uh, to the improvement of the Sixers? Obviously, all these things, but what do you give more credit to, the roster construction or Doc Rivers' impact when it comes to adjustments?
1: That's a great question. I think I would have to lean a little bit more toward the roster just because I think that's something that Sixers fans, you know, even last year was pretty obvious when the way the team was built that it wasn't built to maximize, you know, Ben and Joel because they had, you know, they bring in Al. Obviously, they signed Tobias, Josh Richardson, guys that are good players but aren't necessarily, you know, Marksman from the outside, guys that can kind of complement Ben and Joel, where this year you swap out Josh, you swap out Al, bring in two guys that plug in perfectly on the perimeter right there. Seth, you know, a guy that you could obviously never leave open on the offensive end. And Danny, who has the championship experience and also the, the three and D type caliber that's really, you know, prevalent in the league today where he doesn't need the ball, but he can, you know, play D on one end and then spot up and knock down corner or wing uh, threes on the other end. So I think just opening that roster up to give Joel more space to work with, to give Ben more, um, you know, reliable targets when he's going downhill in transition with guys to kick out to. I think that's been huge. And then you know, obviously Doc has has made some small, like subtle adjustments on the offensive end. He's you know getting Joel the ball in the post early in possessions. That's been an emphasis before the defense can get set or send a double. And then he's helped. You know, they have plays now where Joel is getting doubled. They have looks. You know, usually a cutter and then a, a wing guy that slides over it for the outlet pass that just gives him a couple quick reads out of the post anytime the double comes. And I think that's something that, I don't know if Brett Brown didn't necessarily do it last year, but it's just a lot more obvious on, you know, with Doc this year, the, the structure that they have offensively. And I think that's helped for sure.
0: So it's fair to say it's been a Daryl Morey influence. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know that they need a shooting around them. They also need shot creation, which some would say they're still lacking in. I think Tyrese Maxey gives some help to that. Um, give me your thoughts on Daryl Morey's influence, but not only that, do you think Tyrese Maxey could step in, in the playoffs and, you know, lead a role where he could add some
1: shot creation to this team? I do at least ultimately. And I think that's the reason he's been getting some, you know, so many minutes early on this season is because they know that there is you know, a hole there where they could use another perimeter creator with, you know, a guy that's capable with the ball in his hands of just, you know, putting it on the floor and getting a bucket. And I think, you know, Maxie has shown, you know, a lot of potential in that role. He is still a rookie. He's had a couple down games recently where he hasn't scored much, turned the ball over a little bit, which is to be expected. So I think they're trying to kind of gauge how much he can be trusted at this point in time. I certainly think he's, you know, a big part of their plans moving forward uh, in the short term for this season, I do think they still might need to bring in another guy on the perimeter in a similar role to what Maxi does, but with just a little bit more experience that can, you know, basically play off of off of the ball or on the ball, um, and, and just knock down shots at, at a pretty high clip to kind of give some relief to Joel. He's been carrying the load offensively for this team, so you know, and, and Shake Milton fills that to a degree. Yes, also he's been playing, um, you know, really well this season, stepping up. He's got a guy that. You know, Doc is, it seems to be almost molding like he has with six men in the past Lou Will, um, Jamal Crawford, like guys that can just come in off the bench. You give him the ball on the wing, give him an ISO or a high screen, and he can, you know, break a guy down off the dribble, get into the paint, pull up, knock down threes. So between Milton and Maxie, I think those two provide a dynamic that the Sixers, you know, really didn't have in the past couple seasons. But with that being said, there is still the chance to me that I think Mori will be interested in you know going out between now and the trade deadline and bringing in you know another guy that that's reliable uh, on the perimeter that has kind of a track record of just being able to get buckets uh you know in clutch time
0: From what i'm seeing seth is shooting at a really high clip right
1: yeah i think he last time i checked he was leading the league in uh three point percentage uh, 50 54 55 something astronomical i remember when he was in the you know in the g
0: league people were wondering if he even have a career here now look what he's doing if he, if that's sustainable in the playoffs i mean they could really be a legit title contender if everything comes together. I think, I think that some people don't, you know?
1: Yeah, I agree. He's, he's in a great spot for himself now too, because he's not asked to do too much, but there's ample, you know, there's so many looks for him just between the doubles that, that Joel draws pretty much every time down. And then Ben getting out in transition like that, there's, you know, constantly looks for, for him and Danny on either wing. And he's, you know, doing what Curry's doing, taking advantage.
0: <laughs> right, right. I wanted to shift to Boston. What have you made of uh, Jalen Brown's leap so far? Oh, uh, man, I,
1: I love Jalen Brown. You know, it's he's he's taking a huge step forward. He's a guy to me that, you know, ever since he's been in the league, I thought he was good. I thought he was, you know, a 3 and D type guy that was, you know, a definite starter in the NBA. But this year specifically, and with Tatum down for the past couple weeks, he's shown that he could be, you know, a top offensive option for a team in terms of, you know, they can he can do everything offensively. He can shoot. Uh, put the ball on the floor. He got the mid range. He can get to the rim. You know, he's a, a, yeah. f- a scorer and you add in the defensive play and the athleticism and the rebounding. I mean, he's a guy that's, you know, I think he hasn't been there yet. He hasn't made an all-star team or an all NBA team, but I think he's trending, you know, in that direction. And obviously with him and Tatum, uh, you know, on the perimeter there, but as long as they have those two guys, Boston is going to be, you know, in the conversation in the East for sure.
0: I always thought that, Jalen didn't get enough credit and Tatum got a little too much credit, but that's just me, man.
1: No, I agree. I think that's fair. But at the same time, this year is the first year I think Jalen's really taken that step forward offensively where he's making people, you know, he showed flashes of it in the past, but it just wasn't necessarily consistent. Like he would drop 31 game, maybe come back and have like 14. And this year it's 26, 29, 35, 30, you know, every night he's out there putting up numbers. And I think that's, you know, really that the next step that he's taken.
0: All right. I want to shift to Ben Simmons. I'm higher on Ben than a lot of people. Um, How real were these trade rumors? Like, was he really on the trading block? Does that cause some tension going forward for Ben, no matter what he says to the media? Uh, Yeah. Tell me more.
1: Tell me more. These are great, great questions. And it's tough because I'm I'm also high on Ben. Uh, I've always been one of the people that wants to focus on, you know, the multitude of good things he brings to the floor. hundred percent. hundred percent. To the one thing that, you know, people like to say that he doesn't do this yet. Uh, And I I do think those rumors were real. It's tough because ever since Maury came to Philly, you know, he's told us the media every, you know, at every chance he's gotten that he's not looking to trade Ben. He's not trying to. And I I do believe that to an extent, I think obviously the Harden situation presented itself. And at that point, you know, he he has to do his due, due diligence. I think he obviously knows better than most people, how good Harden is and how quickly he could, you know, elevate the Sixers team. So I do think there was some, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, as they say. And I really do think that there was conversations there, but at the same time, I don't think it's a situation where the Sixers are, you know, openly shopping Ben at any means. I think that was a specific situation. And the fact that they didn't pull the trigger on it, I think should, at least if I were Ben, I would take more out of that than the fact that, you know, maybe my name did pop up in trade rumors. The fact that they, that he's still in Philly, shows that there's, you know, a good amount of internal support for him here, that there's, you know, a lot of people in the organization that think he's a, a key piece, which he is. So, you know, moving forward, I think that the way it is in Philly, you know, I'm, I'm here, I hear what the fans are saying. He's under the microscope now, and that's probably not going to stop. But in terms of the way the the team and the front office views him, I, I think he's a key piece and a guy that they're, you know, not not eager to try to get rid of, like some people would have you think. It's not like, more he's on the phone calling every team like, hey, what could I get for Ben Simmons? I think, you know, if if the situation presents itself and there's a home run deal where, you know, Harden is available or maybe Bradley Beal becomes available, maybe they'll consider it. But in general, I think they're happy where he's at. And I think, you know, Doc Rivers especially has been in his corner uh, big time all season. He's been very supportive of Ben, especially what he does on defense. So I think he's, you know, he's valued within this organization appropriately so. And I think they're going to continue moving forward with him as, you know, a, a key cog to, to what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know what they say, defense with championships. And when your two best players are, I mean, that's, exactly. argu- that's arguable, I guess. But when your two best players are Joel and Ben, I mean, that's a great foundation right there. Uh, exactly. you, you mentioned Harded And, uh, man, I'm high on Kyrie. I've always been high on Kyrie. I even say he's the most skilled player in the NBA. Some people would say Steph some people would say Durant, but uh, he's to me like a top 15, top 10 player, the most skilled player, I would say. But um, it hasn't been as fun when he's been there, man. Like if you watch those just those hardened Durant games, super fun, super fun. And it just hasn't been that way. Like I'm watching every single
1: Nets game, you know. Oh, yeah. There must watch TV now. You know, that's yeah. past- the, yes, the Yes
0: Network is the Yes Network is popping right
1: now, Michael. It's oh, fun. for sure. For sure. But no, I, I agree. It's tough because like you said, those first couple games with Durant and Harden, you're watching it and they're just, you know, dominating, putting up these points. And then I think it's what kind of what a lot of people expected that, you know, three high volume scores like that. It's going to take a little bit of time for the offense flow from what I've seen, you know, so far since it's been all three of them. It's a lot of, you know, as they say, take turns like, all right, James, you go. I saw this play and Kyrie's is kind of standing off to the corner and Durant standing on the wing then the next possession, Kyrie will bring it down. He'll get a high screen, go ISO. Those two are just standing. And I think, you know, ultimately you want to see these guys moving off ball more, creating opportunities for the other guys. And I think, you know, that is something that will come. They're all obviously extremely talented players, but I do think it's fair to wonder at this point, if there's just a little too much offense and not enough emphasis on, you know, size, defense, and rebounding in the playoffs, you know, obviously you know how important that becomes in a series and, you know, scoring is great, but there's, as they say, there's only one ball and you're only going to score three time three points per possession at the most, you know? So no matter how many great offensive players you have, if you don't, you can't, you know, make up for that on the defensive end and rebounding wise, I do think, you know, they might be the favorites on paper right now in the East, but to me, they're not a team that's, you know, they're not the warriors from 2017 where you're like, Oh, all right. You know, pencil them into the finals already. I do think that they could be, you know, beaten, uh, you know, in the Eastern conference playoffs.
0: Yeah, I uh, I actually took out my crystal ball and I was telling people on IG Live they should look at Norvel Pell. Norvel Pell would be the move. Yeah. I mean, you know about him. He's he's been with the. Yep. Series. I think he could provide some, you know, some rim protection. He plays hard. I uh, I think he could help them. You know,
1: to an extent. I mean, if it comes, he's not going to slow Joel down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, people he like know. Well, at least he knows his game. But no, you're right. He won't just he won't slow. But I mean, for for them, anything they could get, he's he's a serviceable big, you know, he's athletic, he can finish around the rim, he can provide some rim protection. So, you know, it's it's an improvement for them, but still, I think they'll need to, you know, further solidify that front court a little bit if they really want to have, you know, give themselves the best chance, I'll say, in the postseason, whether that's, you know, if they're able to somehow get an Andre Drummond or even a JaVale McGee, one of those big guys at Cleveland now has a, a plethora of something like that just to you know, just solidify that center spot a little bit more where you can put DeAndre on the bench and he's your second big. I think you would feel a lot better about yourself as a team in, in that situation. Do you think
0: Bradley Beal will be a wizard for the entirety of the season?
1: I don't know. If you, if you watched last night, they had a shot of him sitting on the bench with his hand in his head like this. It looked like he was crying or praying or, or something. So based off that most recent image, I, I'm going to say no. I, I think he'll maybe get frustrated at this point. Obviously the Westbrook, Westbrook trade, Um, hasn't worked out in their favor things. are just, you know, in fairness, some of it obviously is with the protocols. They've missed tons of games, tons of players. They're, you know, kind of out of rhythm, but even before that, they just look discombobulated, especially defensively. They're getting no stops. Uh, And Bradley Beal's a guy that's obviously spent his whole career there and he's, you know, kind of reaching his prime right now his peak. And, you know, a lot of players in that situation don't want to see their, you know, prime playing years wasted on a team that doesn't have, you know, real direction or a bright future so I wouldn't be shocked if you know a couple weeks from now next you know the end of middle next month before the trade deadline rumors and speculation really start to heat up and he's potentially like you know the big name around the trade deadline where people are talking about him potentially being moved I, I, I could definitely see that happening
0: do you see a destination that would make sense for the Wizards and whatever team he'd be traded for
1: that's tough, I mean, because obviously every, pretty much every team that has the space and is looking to contend could use Bradley Beal. He's one of those yeah. guys. You know, he's not like Harden, where if you bring Harden in, you're going to have to, you know, change your entire offensive philosophy, basically, even though he's trying to fit in with the Nets. I mean, he's a guy, he plays one way, he needs the ball, he does what he does. Beal is a guy that's almost like you. you can put in any offense and it seems like he'll just be able to fit in, get buckets in the flow of things, and open things up for your other players. So, I mean, obviously – if it came down to it, we were talking about Philadelphia, would they potentially be willing to, you know, put Simmons and a pick or, or two up to to bring Beal in and pair him with Embiid? Um, you know, there's the, I'm trying to think pretty much, you know, any team, the Lakers, I don't know if they would be able to have an offer that would be enticing to Washington, but obviously I'm pretty sure they would love to pair, you know, Beal right in between LeBron and AD. I mean, that's a, a triangle of death right there. I don't know how you would ever stop that. Yeah. I think I think a lot of contenders, um, you know, would be interested for sure if, you know, if he becomes available. And at that point, it's just, you know, whatever team's willing to, you know, put the most on the table to get the deal done.
0: Yeah, I think it makes sense for the Wizards, too. The only thing is they got Russell and they're going into a full rebuild mode. So I don't know how that leaves Russell in his career, you know?
1: Yeah, that's that. He's unfortunately in a tough situation. It's tough because Russell was one of my absolute favorite players to watch, you know, all the way. The, the OKC days all the way through, he just played with such, you know, energy and enthusiasm. But, you know, the past couple of years, I feel like he's, uh, you know, you lose a step when you rely on athleticism that much. He was never a great shooter, never had the best best shot selection. And I think because some of the athleticism has faded, the negatives in his game have taken, you know, become a little bit more obvious. And I, I, it's been harder for a team to, you know, I think find success with him as a you know a key player when he's not, you know, not playing as well as he has in the past
0: who do you have as a legit contender outside the Lakers? I've been talking about this a little bit.
1: I like the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers have been playing playing really well in the Jazz, or uh, the two teams out West to me. The Jazz are really yeah. playing well. I think they're seven straight wins right now. And they have, you know, they have both ends of the floor going. Obviously, Gobert is playing well. Donovan Mitchell got that extension over the summer. And he's, you know, taking that step into being a, a full-blown superstar, go-to guy on the offensive end. And it's got a lot of pieces around those two guys that, that can shoot and play D Conley's having a much better season, obviously, Jingles, Bogdanovich, um, Jordan Clarkson, they just have a lot of guys that can, you know, come in and hurt you offensively, and they get it done defensively. And the Clippers are, you know, that's a team that last year, a lot of people expected to potentially at least get to the conference finals, if not the NBA finals, they, you know, obviously fell short, but I think they're playing you know, playing a little bit better this year. Paul George seems to be fully healthy. Uh, he had the shoulder things last year. He's playing better. Kawhi's Kawhi. Uh, the Ibaka pickup has been nice for them. Um, you know, so those two teams for me. And in the East, there's that, it's, you know, the group of, I think about four teams, the, the Nets, the Bucks, uh, the Sixers, and the Celtics to me have kind of separated themselves as the, you know, the top four teams. The Heat, it's, you know, they've been hurt. Butler's been out. They had the COVID protocols. So it's kind of hard to tell where they're at. Uh, same with the Pacers have had a lot of injuries, uh, the trade for Ol- Oladipo. So it's kind of also tough to tell. But for me, you know, the, the Nets are probably the favorite. But like I said, I think they could be beat. And then, you know, Bucks, Sixers, and Celtics are all right there in the top four competing for, you know, those those top spots. I think the Sixers would be right underneath the Nets. I think I would have them above Milwaukee. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, what do you have back there? What kind of kicks before we get out of here? Talk to me, man. You got some sneakers. Oh, man. Yeah, this is
1: – I got this whole – Okay. All right. Rider. Mostly Jordans, got some some Nikes, couple Yeezys. It looks like a lot, but that's a collection of probably you know fifteen. Like a lot of these are you know two thousand five, two thousand six. So it's it's something I've been doing basically since high school. I used to play uh, basketball in high school.
0: Okay, the sixes are coming out, right? The sixes are coming out soon. Yep, those, yep the red ones. Yeah, those ten out of ten, right? Ten out of ten. Uh, yeah
1: it's so hard to get shoes now though, man. Cause everyone just buys them up. Even if they don't want them, they just buy them to resell them to other people. What's
0: the, what's the hack for the sneaker app? You got to talk to us. How do we, you know,
1: dude? I don't, it's, I'm telling you most of they're not new. Like I haven't been having a lot of success recently. Like every time uh, I'm on the sneakers, I'm getting the, you know, the L. So I don't know. It's tough these days, man. I feel like it's the game's gotten taken over by, you know, I guess hype beasts for lack of a better word. Like, you know, 10 years ago, if you liked a shoe, you could, you'd have to do work, but you could find it and you could get it now. It's just like, unless you want to pay more than the retail price, which I don't ever try to do. It's tough sledding out there, man.
0: Michael, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Please let the listeners know where they can find you on social media and everywhere
1: else. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the real Mike KB. I uh, got a link on there to my CBS uh, profile where all my articles and everything are at. And um, yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed talking, talking hoops with you.
0: You're always welcome back on the show. Let's do it again soon, Michael. For sure, man. Thank you to everyone who listens to Combos Court across the globe. And shouts to Michael KB for joining in. That's Michael Kasky Blow Main. You can find him on Twitter at The Real Mike KB. I want to keep this one short. Leave a review. Please leave a review. It would help the show tremendously. I would appreciate it. Also, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Combos Court. Be on the lookout for episode 237 Combo Out.